Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. today about something that, like I say, is still being completed in my mind as I begin to bring it to you today. I want to talk to you about four words. Everybody say, God is in control. Amen. God is in control. Everybody say, God is in control. Now, either you believe that or you don't believe that. Either you accept that or you don't accept that. But I'm going to talk to you today on those four words. Second Timothy Chapter 1, verse 9, we're doing the NIV because it's very plain to read. We're just doing the first part of it. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his purpose, his own purpose, and his grace. Not because of anything, say, I have done, but because of his on purpose and grace. Everybody say, God's in control. God bless you, and you may be seated in the name of the Lord. So when I say the words, God is in control, how do you feel about that? How do you feel when I say that God is a sovereign God? How does that make you feel? How does that make your mind, does it make it relaxed, or does it make it tense? The great phrase to use, but really what it really means is that you have to understand it. God is in control, and Paul said that. He said the worlds were framed. He said we were saved. He said we are kept because God is in control. It's not anything that we have done, but because of his own purpose and his grace. That's why we believe that God is a sovereign God. So we have to ask these two questions. Are we predestined? Are we predestined? Are we just robots on this earth, on strings, played by a higher power, just being pulled, manipulated, or is there a free will? Predestination, free will. What are we? Who are we? Arguments don't count. It's how you live life that really counts. And do you live, let me ask you a question, do you live like he is in control of your life? When things are bad, when things are out of control in your life, do you still believe that he is able to keep what he's committed unto you against that day? Do you believe that? Do you still believe that? Do you believe when everything's going haywire that he said, I will never, never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you always, even to the end of the world. See, it all depends on really who says it. Say you lose your job, you've lost your job, you've had no job for about a couple of months, and this 18-year-old kid walks up to you, and he says, hey, hey, uh, I, w- I want to tell you, God's in control. Now, this kid's never had a job. His parents pay all of his tuition. His parents is paying for his car notes. His parents are buying gas. His parents give him a credit card. Everything's wonderful in his world, and he walks up to you. He's never bought a thing in his life without mom and dad's money. He says, God's in control. Is there any comfort there? No, you probably want to take a number two pencil and stab him right in the heart. You know, just, <laughs> he, ain't, he don't know what he's talking about. 
But it's a little different when an 81-year-old lady in your neighborhood or in your church walks up and she remembers the Great Depression. And she repossessed everything in her house, even her drapes. And she lost her husband during the war and provided for four kids the rest of her life. And she stops by and says to you, God is in control. See, I believe with all my heart that truth registers best on the other side of complexity. Let me say it again. Truth registers best on the other side of complexity. When we try to oversimplify certain things about God in our lives, Paul says God is able, God is able to keep that that I've committed to him against that day. But we ask questions like why do babies die and why is there an AIDS virus in the world and why are the innocent destroyed? Why does a man who spent seven terms in Afghanistan come home and robbers in America break into his house and put his wife and daughter in a closet and rob and kill him and he took seven terms to make those men be free? Some things just don't make sense. But if Paul had said this speech to Timothy earlier in life, it would not have meant as much to Timothy as when Paul said it to him. Because Paul once shared the gospel, guys, and he went everywhere organizing, bringing churches in, preaching the gospel. And he was somebody who had seen what God could do in Acts 13, 14, the first missionary journey that Paul took. He went to five cities and he called people to do great things and people became converted. And this man who many people thought was just bringing a cult movement in all of a sudden realized he had a real gospel movement that was moving in his life. And it was the pure gospel. In fact, Paul was so powerful, folks, that one time he was preaching. And when he got through preaching, he started asking people if they wanted to be healed. And they, they started being healed when he touched them. And the line got so long that he couldn't reach everybody. So people started cutting off parts of their garment and they started pulling out their old dirty handkerchiefs and they started bringing cloths to him and they started bringing all kinds of rags to him and just have him touch them or have them anoint them and they go put them on themselves and they were healed because the power of God was so great upon him and he could say in those days that God's purpose was at its best and God was doing a great thing what a time to preach that God is for us you could see it one time in Ephesus, he preached till midnight. Paul was a long-winded preacher. Thank God I'm not because you wouldn't probably stay till I got through. But Paul was preaching one time in the upper room, and, and there was a man named Eutychus sitting in the window. That was his name, Eutychus. And he fell out the window, and he died. And Eutychus, too. If... <laughs> and Paul comes down those stairs, and, and there's that man laying dead, and Paul didn't, didn't risk a lawsuit. He didn't file no insurance claim. He went over and laid his hands on that man, and God raised him up from the dead yeah. right now. And I, the part I love is that Paul went back and finished his sermon. <laughs> he wasn't done preaching. <laughs> didn't matter if he had a resurrect of man in the middle of his service. He was not done preaching. Ephesus was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. And Paul was establishing strongholds and strong beaches and those kind of places. And it was a great time, a wonderful time to preach God's purpose, God's purpose, God's purpose. God's purpose is everywhere. Yet when he wrote to Timothy, when he wrote to Timothy, he was not preaching from a high point in his life. He was not talking from some high elevated point in his life. He was preaching from prison. Timothy, he said, God's purpose is always fulfilled. Don't ever quit believing that. 
How can you see purpose, Paul, in prison? I know you could see it when you were healing the sick. I know you could see it when you were raising Eutychus up. I know you could see it when things were going good. But how do you see purpose in prison? How do you recognize a calling? How do you recognize an affiliation? How do you recognize an appointedness? How do you recognize that in prison? Because a lot of us in this house would start asking questions like John the Baptist asked when he was in prison. He said, go ask him if he's the one who should come or do we look for another. So predestined free will. Questions we must answer. You know, life, life really, folks, is about control. It really is. Life's about control. I don't go snow skiing anymore. I tried it one day on the green slopes. I never got on the blue or the black. Don't make fun of me. Uh, I've done better than some of you. I didn't break a leg that day, thank God. But I, I was out of control, and I said, you know, anything that I can't control, I'm not going to do. I'm just not going to do it anymore, so I just stepped off the slopes but some of us, our first words when we were born, it was daddy and mama and more. And then, ah, we screamed for everything. You remember those days? That's when the spoon came out. But I used to tell mom and dad, when I get big, when I get big, there won't be a curfew in my life. Nobody's going to tell me when to go to bed. And nobody's going to tell me when I've got to get up. I'm going to have ice cream in my refrigerator. I'm going to have root beer there so I can make root beer float any time. That don't, that don't happen in this house, and I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. And I will, eat, I will eat candy until I want to not eat any more candy, and I will play video games, and I will do things that I want to do, and I will have the time of my life, and I will just absolutely drive the car I want to drive, and I'll put gas in it, and I'll do all that kind of stuff. And I go to bed now before my curfew ever was when I was here. But life is all about getting control. We want control in life. Then when we get into something, when we start hurting and we say, hmm, I need a little help, then we want somebody to say that God's in control. It's hard to live with when you're in prison. Some of that really makes you feel worse. It really does. I remember when I was going through the tragedy of 1981, people would call me and take 10, 15 minutes of my time and just tell me they had a word of prophecy for me. And some of those people didn't have a clue what they were talking about. And really, it'd be best if they hadn't even called and said anything. Just be standing there and standing with me. And that, that'd been best. Because people many times say the wrong thing when folks are going through crisis in their lives. But that phrase, God is in control, is not in the Bible, folks. You can look in your Bible, you can look all through your Bible, you can pull out your Google machines, whatever you got. You can do all that kind of stuff. You can check it on iPad, you can check it on Crudence Concordance, you can go through anything. The word God is in control is not in your Bible. Now the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof is in the Bible. Heaven's his throne and the earth is his footstool is in the Bible. Job said he's on top of the stars, which means he's on top of everything. One writer said he made it all. John said without him was not anything made that was made. And maybe that is because God has certain circles of control in his sovereignty. But he's also given his children some control in their own lives. Maybe it's a little bit of both, predestination and free will. Maybe it's a little bit of both. God said, if you will, you'll never, I'll never, never, never let you be taken out of my hand if you'll just walk with me. Certain things that happen in life and in our bodies and in the present makes us think that the world is not what it should be. We look at situations that are outside of how we think God works and we wonder, where is God in all this? Where is God in all this? And maybe, maybe controversial what I'm about to say. I'm going to make a statement that we could use God in control as a cop-out many times in our life. And here's the cop-out. Here it is. I'm going to make this statement. There is value 
and importance to human responsibility that coincides with God's sovereignty. And any theology of God's sovereignty that minimizes our human responsibility is heresy. Everybody say, I need to praise the Lord for myself. Everybody say, I need to get up by myself. Everybody say, I need to go to work by myself. Come on. Anything of God's sovereignty that minimizes human responsibility is heresy. God wants us to take care of ourselves. I'm going to preach in a minute. So here's the question today. Do we want God to be in control or do we want him to take control? Now I got your attention. Do we want God to be in control? There is a difference. See, most of us do not want God in control of our life. But when we run into a dead end, we want God to take control of our life. But either he is in or either he's going to take control. Most of us want a God that will take control when things are out of control. But God, give me my weekends because I don't want you in control of my life on the weekends. I got some things. I got some plans, God. You know, whoo, hallelujah. I got this good-looking babe, and I got this, mm, I got this nice car, and that car and that babe and me going to meet, and I don't want you taking control or being in control of my life on this weekend. Let me have my weekends, and I'll take care of you on Sunday, okay? Many of us, many of us want God to take control of our careers, but not at the club. Many of us want God to take control of our finances, but don't be in control of my finances and tell me how to spend my money. Like pay your tithes and give to the church and help with a parking lot that's muddy today. And we could have parked in it. We'd have had more money. Oh, I'm preaching to you right now. I don't, I don't want to just hand God my life when things are totally out of control. I want God in control of my life every morning, every evening, every night. I want to say God is in control of my life. I've had people in relationships for four years come to me and say, Pastor, Pastor, we've messed it up for the last four years. We've messed it up. But we need God to take control of our life today and put it back together. Oh, really? In the next 30 minutes or when? We want God to take control right now. We mess it up for 18, 20 years and then we want God to fix it in five minutes. But we don't want God in control of our life. Are you listening to me right now? Do you want a God that just serves you on Sunday morning and lets you go do what you want to all week and then take control again of your situation on Sunday? I'm telling you, he's not a bail bondsman. He's not just going to bail you out. He's either going to take control or he's going to be in control. And that's the question. That's the defining question in your life. Do you want God to just bail you out when you're in trouble? Or do you want a God that will be with you every day of your life, wake up with you, go to sleep with you, be with you in the morning, be with you on your job, be with you in your school, be with you every day when you're sick, when you're well, when you're high, when you're low, when you're preaching, when you're in prison? That's the kind of God I want. See, Paul believed when he couldn't see. He trusted when he couldn't trace. He held to a person when he didn't understand the plan. Now, you got to get this, folks. Seven years before Paul went to prison, he got the revelation of what he wrote to Timothy in prison. It's not because of anything that we have done, but because of his own purpose 
and grace. God is in control. See, he was sent on a boat seven years before he was in prison in Rome. He was sent on this boat to Rome. And he was going to be placed in front of Caesar because he was going to appeal his case to the highest authority possible. Can I talk to you right now? That's what God wants you to do in all your lives. When he has got you, you have got control of your circle and it's there in front of you. He wants you to take your appeal to the highest court possible. He don't want you just to give up and say, well, it's out of my hands. It may not be out of your hands. Because it's only when it gets impossible with you that it becomes possible with God. It only when it becomes an immovable object for you that God says, scoot over and I'll help you with this situation. But we need to appeal our case to the highest level. In other words, we shouldn't be afraid of going to a doctor. We shouldn't be afraid of going to somebody that can help us with our mindset. We shouldn't be afraid to appeal our case to the highest level. But when that doesn't operate and when that doesn't work, we've got a God that's in control of our lives. He don't want you just to lay down and say, God, here I am. Give me money today. Bless me today. No, no, no. He wants you to go out and get a job. He wants you to appeal your case to the highest level possible because God wants to bless you. He wants to feel you. He wants to touch you. And he wants you to be responsible citizens for the kingdom of God. Can you clap your hands and rejoice in that right now? That's what God wants in your life. Jesus one day was... Jesus one day was talking to some people and he talked too long. He was kind of like Paul at, at Ephesus. He talked too long and he was out in the middle of this desert place and one of the disciples came up and said, Lord, you know you've been going a while. Now I'm paraphrasing this. You've been going a while. And he said, these people are hungry. And he said, don't you think you ought to go ahead and send them away? Go ahead and send them away because, you know, Lord... Last time I checked, we just got about 200 penny worth in our pocket, and we don't have enough to feed these people. Don't you think you ought to send them on home so that they can get back for the restaurants closed, you know, in town? You've been blessed them. And the Lord looked at that disciple and said, don't send them away. Don't send them away. He said, you give them something to eat. Huh? Me? You talking to me? You're Messiah, you're talking to me? Yeah, give them something to eat. Now, Lord, Lord, you know how people operate in our, our country. You're the one that fixes people. You're asking me to give them something to eat. Give them something to eat. And Andrew finally caught on to what was going on. He said, Lord, I found this kid here. And he's got, he run by Long John Silver's on the way out. And he's got five loaves and two fishes. But what's that among so many? And the Lord said, bring them here to me. And they brought them to the Lord. Woo, hallelujah. Yeah. And he blessed those five loaves and two fishes. And then he said, I want you to make the men sit down. I want you to make the people sit down in companies of 50. Now, you've got to understand, there was 5,000 men plus women and children. That's what, that's what the four gospels talk about it. And Mark said there was women and children there. So he said, I want you to make them sit down in companies of 50. Now, can you imagine what organization they had to have that day, companies of 50? Because when they started sitting a kid over here with his aunt and he wanted to be with his mom and daddy, thinking the rapture's going to take place or something, he said, I don't belong here. I want to be over there. And so they, had to, they, they lost five kids here to go over this group. So they had to take five out of that group and put them over this group. Can you imagine what it took to get 50 people organized and sit down? 5,000 of them plus women and children. Probably 20,000 people in companies of 50. And so Jesus blesses this, oh, I love this. He blesses this food, 
And then he breaks it and gives it to some disciples. Said, "Now, now go feed them." And so the disciples has this. You know, they have this bread in their hand. You know, say, "Here, take your piece. Now, take your piece. Here's some fish. Take your piece." Fish and bread. Take some. Take some. So he, he breaks a piece off. And then this is for my kid. This is for my other kid, my other kid. And all of a sudden, he's down to a crumb. And he says, God. And it's another loaf of bread in his hand. <laughs> and some more fish in his hand. Breaks it off, breaks it off, breaks it off, breaks it off. And it's amazing. Because when they appealed their case mm, to the highest power, God gave them ability to walk through companies of 50 and bless people right and left. It was God that did it. It was people that you were used to get the job done. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. God's got a place for his church. God's got room for his church in this world. And God wants you to be the best you can be and appeal your case to the highest level because God wants to use you to bless society. Wow. Wow. <laughs> How... Can you expect God to heal you if you won't live the lifestyle to be a healthy person? Lord, I'm dying of lung cancer. Really? I need a little help. Really? Do you mind quitting smoking? No, Lord, I want to keep smoking. But I'm dying of lung cancer. Lord, I got cirrhosis of the liver. Well, do you mind giving up drink? No, no, I like my drink too much, but I need healing. How do you expect, oh, let me preach to you. How do you expect God to come into your life and fix you and heal you when you won't give up some things and appeal to the highest level yourself? You've got to step up and say, God, if you're going to step up for me, I'm going to step up for you. If you're going to come to where I am, I'm going to attempt to get to where you are. How do you expect, come on, how do you expect God to send your kids back to you? And your kids come home and reconcile with you when you don't even love them. You've got to appeal your case to the highest level. You've got to step up because God has given you some control. And you've got to do the best you can with what you have to work with. It's called responsibility. It's called free will. And you've got to do it. You know, it, 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 it's an amazing thing. And I... Am I doing all right up here today? But there are times, there are times when you're going to be put in the middle of a storm in the open sea. You're going to be put in a storm. I'm going to put my glasses on now. How many of you, if I ask you to raise your hand today, and I'm going to ask you, how many of you would say to me, Pastor, I'm going through something right now that is out of my control, really out of my control. Now, honestly, it's out of my control. It's not in my control to fix. It's out of my control. I can't fix it. Now, you better think hard. But how many of you are in a position like that, and you'd like for God to kind of step up for you today? Would you raise your hand? All right, put them down. All right, the rest of you didn't raise your hand. You'll be raising yours in a few days. Because like one old preacher said, put it up there, brother, put it up there. Like one old preacher said, you're either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or headed into a storm. Bless God, you got storms. He was a real positive man, but he told the truth. Everybody say, you're either in one, you're either coming out of one, you're either headed into one, because everybody's got storms. And Paul, seven years before he wrote his letter to Timothy in prison, 
got his lesson of what he was going to write on the open sea in a ship. Because sometimes you're going to be where nobody can help you but God. And when you get in that place of where nobody can help you but God, you're going to find out that God's all you need to help you. Oh, I wish somebody helped me preach right now. You're going to realize that when nobody else is there but God, but God is all you need to take you where you need to go because God needs to teach us lessons in open seas sometimes in a storm. He's got to do it. Let's go to Acts 27, and I'm going to wrap this up, and we've got some beautiful babies to dedicate today. It's my joy to do it. Acts 27, verse 14. Verse 14. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from an island. The ship was caught up, caught by the storm, and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it. And we're driven along. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you wasn't in driving the car? It was driving you. You wasn't driving the situation. It was driving you. The wind was so contrary. It was you trying to sail into the wind. And the wind was pushing you every which way. You ever been there? I've been there. That is where you start learning lessons about this thing called God's in control. Verse 16 said, and we passed... To the lee of a small island called Cauda. And we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it overboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Where am I at here? The call. 17, 17, 17. Just a second. Hold on just a minute. Got you. You thought I was in trouble, didn't you? Isn't it amazing how we act? Oh, come on, laugh a little bit. You thought I was in trouble. You thought I was having a little dementia, didn't you? The first service, two or three started to walk up to me and say, Pastor, is there anything we can do? And I had to, had to break out of my quietness real quick. But you, you'll just, I believe y'all let me die. Have you ever been so swept up in a storm that you realized that there's nothing you can do? You can run ropes here. You can drop anchors there. You can throw stuff overboard. You've done everything you can do. But it's just like you're standing here saying, God. And it throws you. Because I threw you with my little speech this morning. I threw you with my little acting this morning. Because sometimes we just don't have the answer. Come here, son. Come here, son. Come here. You're my helper. Come here. Come here, son. Come here. Here's my buddy. I want you to tell these people your name. Tell them your name, son. Right here in my microphone. Joshua. Joshua what? Johnson. That's the part I like. (laughs) You need to remember, you're Johnson Joshua. That's how you are in school. Now, do you know me, son? Yes, sir. How do you know me? You were there when I was born. Really? Woo, you're a cute kid. <laughs> One of the lovingest boys in this church. Come on, I'm going to show you something here, son. Come on, show you something. Come here, come here, come here, come here. You think I'm okay? 
You trust me? Yes, sir. You're supposed to say that. <laughs> because I'm the pastor, and you love me, yes, and I was there, and I've always been kind to you, and I bought you three or four cars and stuff like that. <laughs> no, I hadn't. Okay. Turn around. Okay. Now, Josh, I had a guy come to me, weighed about 250 pounds, after the first service, said, I'll be your prop in the second service, Pastor. <laughs> I said, no, you won't either. Josh is going to be my prop. Funny, funny guy, funny guy. I love him to death. Okay, okay. Now, son, I'm going to do something, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab you right here under your arms, and I'm just going to lean you back. Just lean you back. Come on, just lean you back. Just lean you back. You feel all right? You still kind of feel in control? Feeling okay? You all right? You good? So if I let you go, you think you can get your balance? Say yes. Okay. Because you're not, you're not, okay, good, good, good. Clap your hands for Josh. Isn't that wonderful? All right, now. Now we're in Eurocladon, okay? Now we're, now we're messed up. We're in a boat. We're on a high sea. The wind's in our face. We're holding on. We don't know what to do. But all of a sudden, something's happening. And if I took this boy all the way down to where he was totally out of his element, out of his control, this boy trusts me enough that when I get through holding him here, I'm not going to drop him and let him fall flat because I'm his pastor and I was there when he was born. And I dedicated him in the hospital on the first day of his life. He knows that I've got the strength to lift him up again. And to put him back in his rightful place. So whether he's here or whether he's here, mountaintop or on the high sea, I'm still the God that protects him. And I'm with him. Because the God I'm preaching about was there on the day you was born. And the God I'm preaching about was there on the day you was born again. And that God said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. But I'll go with you all the way even to the end of the world. Because God is in control. Thank you, son. Give him a hand. God's in control of your life. Now listen, now listen, listen. You got to get this. You got to get this. Verse 18, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard and on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands and neither sun or stars appeared for many days. The storm continued raging and finally gave up all hope of being saved. Gave it up. Just gave up hope. Out on the open sea, not in a prison cell, not on a mountaintop, not healing the sick with cloths, not raising a dead man to life. But Paul was with a bunch of guys, 276 of them, in fact, just a bunch of jokers, probably chained, probably prisoners, criminals, to a boat headed to Rome, life in danger. Something happens. They throw the cargo over. The third day, the tackle's over. They lose hope. It was seven years before Paul Pin the words to Timothy. God is in control. 
You don't learn this on a mountain. You don't learn this when things are going good. You don't learn this when all your checks cash. You don't learn this when all your jobs are good. You don't learn this when everything's coming up green. You don't learn this when everything's right. You learn this on the high sea. You learn this when the wind's contrary. You learn this when it's hurricane season. You learn this when you're holding on and don't have one thing to say except God help us. God help us. But Paul said it this way. He said, after they had gone a long time without food, verse 21, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice. In other words, I'm going to tell you, you shouldn't have done what you did back there at Crete. You knew it was hurricane season, but... The past is past. But now I urge you to keep up your courage. Because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of God, the God whom I belong to and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. In other words, Paul, God's not through with you yet. Even out here on this high sea, you're not going under. You still got a purpose in your life. You've got to stand before Caesar. You're going to appeal your case to the highest possible magistrate. Paul, you're not finished yet. I want everybody in this house to know something. You're not done yet. You're not finished yet. It doesn't matter where you are in your life. It doesn't matter how low you are, how high you are. You're not done yet. If you were finished yet, God would already have taken you home. But he's, he's got you here. But, Pastor, I've got cancer. And that's outside of my control. I've been abused. That's outside of my control. I've had situations in my past. That's outside of my control. It doesn't matter. It does not matter what is outside of your control. It does not matter. God is still in control. Pastor, I didn't plan for this baby. It happened. Yeah, but God's in control. Pastor, there's family carnage in my family, but God's in control. I'm telling you, Paul said you should have taken my advice, but because you didn't, I'm here to tell you somebody stood beside me and told me it was going to be all right and everything's going to be okay because it's out of our control now. And when it's out of our control, you ready? Put up my neck next to the last. God's got a second circle. Hallelujah. And the red circle is God's circle outside of my circle. That includes my cancer. That includes my abuse. That includes my family history. That includes the wars in this world. God's got a bigger circle than I have. And the things that I can't handle. I've got a great big God that's got a great big love. And he circles my life. And he blesses me with his provision from above because God is in control. Some of you parents, some of you parents, leave it up there, Brother Josh. Some of you parents are going to dedicate those kids today. You better dedicate yourself also because I promise you life is not easy. Life is a tough road. I don't care how you cut it, whether it's paved or dirt, whether it's yellow brick, whatever it is, it's a tough road. Anybody ever tells you life is fair is lied to you. And I'm not being negative today. But I know one that's in control of my life. And I don't have to ask him to take control when things go bad. Because he's in control. And because he's in control, he'll send an angel to stand by me in the middle of my pain. He'll send help to help me when I don't even ask for it. Because I've given him my life to be in control of. And so I stand here before you today and tell every mom and every dad that God Almighty is for you. Let me use the last story and I'll put one more picture up for you in just a moment. 
Second Kings chapter 6 tells a story of a prophet named Elisha that woke up one day. He was being attacked by an enemy. An enemy that wanted to take him and really string him up and take his helper with him. And the, the little servant of the prophet looked up and said, Sir, there's an enemy out there that's surrounding the city. And uh, I know what they're here for. And Elisha paraphrased it. I do too. But notice what Elisha did. He didn't ask God to take the enemy away. He didn't ask God to take it away. He just said, God, let him see, fix his vision. And he saw and looked out and he said, look out and see the chariots of the Lord and the horsemen thereof. And there are more of them than there are of our enemy. Put up my last slide. Thank you, Brother Josh. See those little X's all in that thing? That's the, that's the presence of the Lord. That's all his horsemen. That's all his chariots. And it kind of wipes out everything that's my problems, all that's my enemies. Because God's force is greater than the force that's trying to take me down. Because I'm living in the power of the second circle. I'm not living in the power of my control. I'm living in the power of his control. And the power of God is greater than any power that wants to destroy me. Somebody clap your hands and say, yes. The power of God, the power of God is greater than any force that wants to take me under. So I said in first service, and I'm going to say it again here, and then we're going to close. Brad, help me. Musicians, help me. We're fixing to dedicate some beautiful babies. What you need to do is get you a magic marker in your hand and go home and you, you see something in your life that's bugging you. Draw a second circle around it. Say, that's God's circle, baby. That's out of my control, but not out of God's control. You see a kid walking. He's errant. He's not wanting to follow the will of God. Walk up behind him, just make a big old circle around him. <laughs> Say, that's not my circle, that's God's. Oh, hmm. Lord, I feel like preaching right now. Some of y'all didn't want to get with me because I was wearing a pink shirt. It's for breast cancer. Thank you very much. Football players wear it, okay? And they're men, I think. I don't want to get hit by one of them. But I'm wearing a pink shirt today preaching about the presence of God. Because God is for us. And cancer's on my mind today because I hate the C word. I hate it. And God's bigger than cancer. And marriage breakup is on my mind today and I hate it. Because God's bigger than marriage breakup. And kids dysfunctionality is on my mind today. But I'm, pre I'm appreciating it because God's bigger than kid dysfunctionality. You need to start drawing some circles. In fact, you need to go home and on your refrigerator put your, your little circle and say control. And then put a big circle outside your circle and say God. God is bigger than anything that I can get a part of in my life. He can take control of anything and everything because he is in control every day of my life. Amen. Clap your hands and rejoice to that right now. God is in control. And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.